Welcome back to another episode of For FinTech's Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. I have two special guests on the show today, David Eric and returning to the podcast this week, Joanne Barefoot. David and Joanne are the founders of AIR, the Alliance for Innovative Regulation. AIR is a nonprofit built to transform financial regulation from manual analog design to digitally native design. The goal is to stabilize the financial system, protect consumers, foster innovation, and expand financial inclusion. We talk about the use cases and what all of that means throughout this interview. Recently, AIR put out an opinion piece in the American Banker regarding PPP and what can be done to modernize and improve that process. We dig into the mechanics of their proposal, as well as how fintech could play a larger role into the next iterations. David and Joanne are truly two of my favorite thinkers in the world of regtech. If you want to dig into more of their work and learn more about AIR, take a look at the show notes after the show. I've dropped a number of links there that can lead you down a rabbit hole and take you into some interesting regtech directions. But most importantly, keep an eye out for the regtech manifesto that AIR will be dropping soon. I'll make sure to share something about that on our social media channels once it's out. And with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with David and Joanne. I'm so excited to have both of you on. You both sit in such unique positions on the tech and the fin side. Just quick backgrounds on the both of you. Um, and then I'm really curious how you met. So maybe Joanne, if you want to kick us off. Absolutely. So it's great to be back on the show, Zach. I love your show. And um, yeah, I am now the uh, CEO and co-founder of the Alliance for Innovative Regulation, AIR. And my background includes having been a bank regulator. I was deputy controller of the currency long ago. Before that, I worked for the Senate Banking Committee on the Hill. And then I was a consultant for years. I was a partner at KP and had several other consulting firms. And I also spent two years as a senior fellow at Harvard working on uh, regulation innovation. Um, and then David and I uh, linked up last year. And David, why don't you tell that story? My background is uh, 20 years in the payments industry. I've worked uh, at both American Express and at JP Morgan, where I was the head of credit card strategy. Um, uh, left JP Morgan to found, uh, to, to actually uh, lead a uh, financial inclusion nonprofit called Bank On. And this is a nonprofit that's dedicated to linking people who don't have bank accounts with uh, safe and affordable bank accounts. Uh, I found pretty quickly that that was a challenge because there's very few products on the market. Um, we actually rolled out a national account standard, but it was really challenging to get uh, traction with the banks on that product. Um, uh, and so I actually co-founded a fintech uh, credit card called Petal. Uh, and this is a credit card that uses cash flow underwriting alternative data to uh, provide safe and affordable credit access to people who don't have credit histories. Um, so if you think about it, uh, a credit card is really just another version of small dollar credit, which is you know basically overdraft. Overdraft is just another form of uh, small dollar lending. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, Credit cards are a way to fill that need, especially for people who don't have credit histories. Yeah. So few people think of it that way, but it's so true. So was bank on as part of what led you to pedal then? I don't think I ever really knew that you kind of hit this brick wall that you were trying to punch through and then you ended up founding a company to jump around well, it or over it or whatever. Yeah, you know, I was really looking at it from the point of view of, uh, you know, pricing. How do you actually price a product? Yeah. Uh, 
that can actually get small dollar lending into the marketplace. And, uh, you know, the challenge with, with pricing, uh, for traditional small dollar lending is that it's real. The cost of underwriting is manual and very high. Yeah. Uh, and, Jason and I met, they had already kind of identified the, um, the artificial intelligence that could actually look mm. at the cash flows in your bank account. So they had a technology, they were really looking for a product. Uh, and I had the idea of the product looking for a mechanism for radically lowering the cost of underwriting. Yeah. So it was perfect. I love it. I, I had no idea about that side of it. I've been a huge pedal fan since I saw, well, since I think I've read your first press release or something, but watching Jason on stage and empire FinTech and then Andrew Endicott came out to fountain city FinTech last year and spent some time and yeah, big pedal fan. And I love the cash flow underwriting model. So how, awesome. how did you two meet? How did that come about? I mean, I, I, it's only so big of a world in fin and in tech, but um, is that kind of the way just seeing each other at conferences or was there some like, you know, momentous occasion on which you two connected? When I was leading bank on, uh, the Aspen Institute and the Ford Foundation hosted a, uh, a convening for uh, financial inclusion nonprofits. And Joanne was one of the keynote speakers. Uh, uh, this was when she was still at Harvard and she was giving a presentation on the need for the regulators to innovate. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at Bank On, we had great support from the regulatory, uh, you know, the regulatory policy folks. And, um, you know, it was it was a gap that I had already seen, you know, especially, uh, you know, working with the banks to try to uh, ask the banks to give up overdraft. It just wasn't a realistic or viable path because they're so dependent on that revenue. Billions. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's 25 to 35% of their bottom line. God, you know? that's wild. So, so, so just understanding that that was uh, not going to go away unless the regulators really took a position against overdraft, which, you know, in our environment, the regulators aren't going to do that. They don't really see their role as directing product. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I saw firsthand how the regulators really needed to think more uh, uh, around how technology could help innovate products and really embrace that. When I saw Joanne's presentation about how the fintech world was was galloping ahead and the regulatory world was uh, behind, it really resonated for me. And yeah. it's in me for five years. Um, our relationship developed uh, over our time at Pedal. I often refer to Joanne as our fintech fairy godmother. <laughs> <laughs> that's speaking of we were talking before about shirts we need joanne we got to get you that shirt <laughs> <laughs> so when she told me about the idea of air it, it i just you know i i said oh we just have to talk about this this is really an amazing idea and so we started working on it about a year and a half ago we were on a panel and uh i just mentioned to david that i was getting ready to launch air and um never and would love his input and it never occurred to me that he would leave pedal but he instantly said uh I, i'd like to talk with you about that and uh so that was great so we got started uh beginning of 2019 and officially launched it last summer uh, or unofficially maybe launched it last summer and then had our formal launch last fall. So let's, let's dig into that a little bit more before we get into some of the PPP stuff. So people have a really good understanding of what it is you do. Cause I think your, your reason for being, if anybody's been close to FinTech or finance or 
any of that world payments um, for any period of time. They're pretty familiar with the fact that regulation is not going to be the piece that they're going to be most friendly with or that's going to move the quickest or, you know, yada, yada, yada. I guess the really the question is, what do you do? I know that you're doing a lot of hackathons. I know that there's a lot of actual doing. And I think there's a misconception about nonprofits in this space that they don't do. And I think you guys are definitely mm-hmm. not in that camp. You're very much doing. So can you, either one of you, talk a little bit about what you are doing, what you have done? Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about doing because we do sort of bucket our work under think, learn, and do. Yeah. So on the we are putting out thought leadership in various forms. Uh, we have several. Um, maybe you can link to them in your um, notes on the show, but we've got yeah. several reports out uh, and we have a big one coming up soon. We actually delayed launching because of the pandemic, but we're putting out what we're calling a RegTech manifesto uh, in hopes of being provocative and getting people to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And it's a vision for why we need to modernize and digitize the financial regulatory system and, and how to do it. And we're putting it out as an RFC, uh, so inviting people's comments on it. Mm-hmm. We haven't got all the answers to it, but we have a, we've, put, we've had a lot of input and a lot of thought on it. So we're putting out the thought leadership work. We are doing um, convenings and education. We're putting together a technology boot camp for regulators, um, among other things, as well as some shorter uh, deep dive sessions on technology aimed at regulators. And then in the uh, do category, yes, we've been running hackathons, tech sprints, and trying to build that bridge from talking and writing words into how do you actually move forward with practical strategies. Our mission is to help the regulatory, financial regulatory system migrate to a what we think of as a digitally native format as opposed to the analog system that we have. It's not anybody's fault that our regulatory system is old and slow. It was really designed to be careful and deliberate and slow. It's going to have to move faster to be able to adopt new technology and and, and just to regulate the new technology in the industry. To do that, it's going to have to embrace technology in new ways. Yeah. So it sounds like thinking, learning and doing over the last like month, month and a half, it sounds like you've been doing all three simultaneously, incredibly quickly and sleeping occasionally. So maybe let's jump, <laughs> let's jump into that. Uh, so with, with this, just everything that's happened, you know, with the shutdowns and everything else, I guess what starting off, what, what has been your involvement with the, you know, governmental conversations around the first cares act? Um, what have you been spending time doing kind of in the interim, trying to get dollars out kind of what is, what is airs position in this crazy cacophony of solutions that we're trying to put out in the world? Yeah. David, do you want to talk about the hackathon? Well, yeah, I think that, you know, uh, it, it actually, probably makes sense to back up a little bit and talk about how hackathons um, actually uh, impact the regulatory environment. Um, One of the challenges that we see is that there are real um, 
kind of uh, verticals that that don't cross over enough, right? Between regulation, uh, technology, innovation, the traditional financial institutions, uh, many of these verticals are siloed from one another. Uh, in our complicated regulatory system here in the U.S., even our regulatory agencies are siloed from one another more than mm-hmm. than I think we would like. And so, one of the pieces of magic about creating a tech sprint or a hackathon for the regulatory community is really bringing together these different uh, parts of the ecosystem that often don't interact with one another. And the magic and the power of sitting down a traditional uh, regulatory policy expert, a subject matter expert, who's not aware of how technology can impact their problem, Mm -hmm. and sitting them down side by side with a person who is a technological expert and understands the latest trends that are taking place in technology and technology can have help solve problems, that group of people is often not aware of the challenges that the regulatory system is facing. And when you bring those two subject matter experts side by side and actually put them on an intensive problem solving, you know, structure, a problem solving Mm -hmm exercise for two days, three days, five days with the objective of actually having uh, an output, like real coded solution, a prototype for something. Um, uh, What it does is it helps everybody understand that the power of collaboration is so great uh, and that the uh, opportunity to radically shrink cycle times Mm-hmm. Uh, in development of new ideas by just putting a prototype out there. Um, uh, it really is eye-opening for everybody across all the silos of the ecosystem. But so, especially uh, for regulators though, right? Like just the being able to witness a sprint, I'm sure is something that is just groundbreaking yeah. for them in a lot of ways. That's right. We actually, uh, the first thing we did when we launched AIR was we were asked by the uh, UK Financial Conduct Authority to run a tech sprint last summer on anti-money laundering. And they wanted to have, they were doing a big one in London. They wanted to have engagement from U.S. regulators. And it was hard for any U.S. regulatory agency to be able to get the approval and figure out how to put something like that together. So the FCA asked us to host it as a satellite in collaboration with them. And we were able to bring a big group of regulators through just to wit. Some of them actually participated on the hackathon teams, but some of them um, just had the chance to see how you could do it. We had it keynoted by the chairman of the FDIC, Helena McWilliams, and she was a judge in the hackathon. And uh, we were able to take the results of it to the head of FinCEN and present. And it's just, as David is saying, it's just completely eye-opening. So when we got, when the pen, pandemic morphed from being a, uh, a few weeks ago from being a public health problem into being an economic uh, disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and suddenly the government was faced with the question of how can you distribute funds to small businesses quickly through the banking system and the fintech world. Uh, it occurred to us that we were well positioned to help with that. And so the night that the president signed the CARES Act, we launched a, uh, a hackathon on it, even though we didn't have the details of the guidance. We had uh, large and small banks. We had uh, some big fintech companies and some small ones. Uh, we had a, the, the consulting firm Protivity worked with us on it. 
And we kicked it off Friday night at 7 p.m. And everybody worked for 48 hours over the weekend. And at 7 p.m. on uh, Sunday night, 7 to 9, people presented their prototypes. We had a big audience listening in. Of course, it was all virtual. Sure. Listening in on the phone, we had regulators really interested in it. And um, our teams correctly uh anticipated what were going to be the challenges with the Payment Protection Act program, the PPP, and uh, therefore we're able to get a head start on a lot of problem solving with it. And spinning out of that, a number of them have launched solutions or have gotten together uh, to work on solutions. We've had follow-up with the regulatory agencies and the industry. We're probably going to do another another, uh, sprint uh, focused on the second phase of the program where the loan forgiveness kicks in mm-hmm. and the key to it is to move fast. You know, we just, we really, we realized we were facing mass extinction of small businesses. Yeah. If you, you know, if you wait for clear guidance to come out and then you start to figure out what to do, it's too late. You know, so many of these businesses only have a few weeks of cash. And so we thought we're just going to jump in, get the right people to the table, see what they can come up with and go from there. It's a really powerful format. I'm beautifully entrepreneurial about that. There's, I'm sure a number of nonprofits in the world that might not feel quite as comfortable, um, you know, pulling the trigger before you know exactly what kind of bullet you just put in the gun. You know, there's there's something about just, Hey, we're going to do this. We don't have all the details yet, but we have to do this and we're all going to come together that, you know, it it gives my heart hope when entrepreneurs run nonprofits. It's a beautiful thing. And, and you know, part of what made it so powerful is that when the guidance did start coming out, which was, there was a big uh, issue in the middle of the following week, what we had already created was uh, teams of people who were already thinking about the problems, already had starter ideas. And so there was a readiness with both kind of jumpstarting solutions and, but also just jumpstarting that collaboration that people didn't have to start looking around. What should I do? You know, they were already rolling. So it was really exciting. And, you know, Zach, that's also the the idea of actually being able to point the gun without, you know, you know, without knowing whether or not it's loaded or where it's going. Right. is fundamentally what a tech sprint is about. You don't yeah. know the answer. It's one of the reasons why the regulatory agencies are kind of cautious about stepping into the tech sprint space uh, because, you know, uh, you don't know what the answer is and you don't know how you're going to take those answers and translate them into market solutions. Right. Uh, and so all of this is really at the front end of innovation. It's the whole idea that that you've got to be willing to take that risk. You've got to be willing to step into the space of the unknown. Uh, and if you wait until it's known, then it's not innovation. Right? So, like yeah, absolutely. So to your point about kind of the the known and the unknown, let's let's talk a little bit about the e-trans system, because I think that there's, you know, the last 10 years, right, the, there from what I've heard, there has not been huge ETRAN issues. I think over the last 10 years, we've done basically the same amount of small business, le- like this, the amount of small business lending we've done in the last month or so has been equal to about what we've done in the past 10 years from what I've heard. That sounds like, you know, a Python trying to swallow a pig or something like that. It sounds, it sounds difficult in a lot of different ways. Um, and I think that there's some technical pieces that we could understand why, but let, let's talk a little bit about kind of what 
what broke without, you know, going all the way negative, but some, some things broke. Um, so what broke and what do we need and kind of what came out of that hackathon that are kind of the, the fixes to that or the things that we should be focused on implementing for round two. I think that's really kind of what I'm most curious about is like, we've done this. It's, it's one of the most interesting, like public facing iterative things that's happened in my lifetime, right? We have done this PPP cares act V one it's gone out in the world. You have very real time feedback in a tiny amount of time. And then we're going to go do it again. Right. And it's a real question of like, are we going to learn from our mistakes the first time? Are we going to pour gas on the things that worked? Um, and I think there's you two sit in a really unique position in terms of that. So I'm curious from both of you, like what, what went wrong? What went right? The, the first thing I would say is that uh, nothing broke. You know, uh, there's there's nothing about the financial crisis that we're facing today that broke our existing system. But what it has done is it has uncovered where our financial system was already broken. Mm, that's a good way to phrase it. Yeah. In some cases, you know, uh, we've been able to kind of uh, back burner a lot of those issues. Yeah. Uh, but now we're seeing by back burnering them what the impact of that is. Right. So one of the weaknesses of the current program is that uh, by and large, with a few exceptions, most banks are making the PPP loans to their existing customers. Right. right. And uh, the underlying issue there is that they uh, already have KYC them. They've already put those existing customers through a KYC process. Right. So it really begs the question. This isn't something that we're going to solve for the phase two of PPP, but it begs this long term question about the status of digital ID. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We've been having and transportability and everything else there. Right. Yeah. We've been having that conversation for a decade, mm-hmm. but now we see the real impact of that. Yeah. If we have transportability today. Yeah. All of those people who are banking at banks that are not participating in the PPP would be able to access the PPP through another bank because they could transport their already completed KYC from their existing bank. Yeah, it's it's wild how much of it has to just comes back to data, data privacy and the ability for that data to move into the proper places and not be siloed. Right. And I mean, listening to you talk, it sounds like, you know, coming coming from where I come from in Kansas City, that's going to be a and I mean, I guess we've just been hearing about it on the news, but that's going to be disparate outcomes, right? If you're just working with your already existing bank customers, probably minority owned businesses, businesses owned by women, et cetera, et cetera, you know, just the, the bodega down the streets, like those kinds of businesses probably don't have the same bank relationships that, you know, X, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking out on the plaza. So American century. Yeah, that's inevitable, unfortunately. And, um, as we're recording this, Congress is acting on the second tranche of funding and there will be almost certainly when the house votes, there'll be some, um, allocations that are trying to alleviate that problem. But there was, uh, there's such a structural, uh, challenge in the, the whole thing, the SBA previously was only available to depository institutions, uh, banks and credit unions. And now the new CARES Act has allowed fintechs to come into it, but that happened later. So one of the problems has been that the, uh, the, the business lenders in the fintech world uh, 
tend to be disproportionately serving the very small companies that, mm. that banks can't really underwrite efficiently, therefore the small loans and the small companies. And so there's been a delay in enabling them to come to the table. And they have to have, as David was referring to it, the uh, the ability to make to follow the know your customer requirements and so on, which is also slows it down. And then within the banking system, the early numbers are suggesting that a lot of community banks have been able to participate. But the fact remains that the large banks were the ones that had the ability to stand up a program really fast and serve mm-hmm. their customers with it. And the smaller banks were just just intrinsically going to be slower. They Many of them have had branch-based uh, small business application systems. Branch hours are now gone or curtailed and getting that quick electronic uh, uh, application in verifying the payroll information electronically, uh, you know, that being sure that the loan is qualifying, getting it dispersed directly into the, into the account. Right. All of these are challenges for the smaller community banks in particular. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, the people who didn't already have a business loan relationship with a bank, uh, therefore have been in the, in, more in the second wave. So let's, let's jump forward to that. I think that's a, the, you know, the meat of the conversation I think is really around, you know, what, what's next, right. And what can we do and kind of, you know, hopefully a hopeful message um, in terms of, you know, how people can roll up their sleeves and get involved. Right. So let's jump into kind of what you two proposed in your uh, American banker piece. And it, you know, reading forward a little bit, I realized that I was kind of talking your book a little bit um, when I said, you know, step one is allocate funds specifically to smaller lenders and vulnerable businesses. I think that there's, you know, one piece of that is CDFI is one piece of, you know, there's, there's multiple pieces of that, but how does, it seems like FinTech really could play into that. And the next couple pieces involve FinTech as well. So how kind of, it sounds like you're proposing a FinTech centric solution in general. Well, um, it's, it's both. I mean, a lot of what we have focused on is community banks and their ability in some cases to partner with fintechs or to have better access to better, faster technology so that they can move faster. Mm-hmm. You know, there's such a geographic problem with this uh, effort. If you think about the ecosystem, to solve this problem of small business uh, cash crisis through the PPP, we have all the elements that we need of that ecosystem. We have uh, banks and fintechs that have existing relationships with pretty much all the companies that need help. Yep. We have uh, great technology to solve all these problems, including the payroll providers coming to the table and um, uh, being able to automate all the steps in the processes. We have complete geographic coverage. There's some provider that can reach every every uh, company that's in need, but we don't have any of that in one Right. company, one swath of the industry. So everybody's at different stages, different paces. So a big part, and this is a lot of what AIR does in general, is we connect up. We, we help people find each other and connect and work together. And um, so one of the suggestions that we made in our American Banker um bank think piece was to uh, make sure that there's space in this for the for the fintechs and the smaller banks to get to the table with good technology. 
part of the issue, Zach, was the speed of first come, first serve, right? Right, right. So, you know, the large banks that have a technological infrastructure and have teams of technologists that they can assign to this were able to move quicker. Mm-hmm. But many of the community banks and credit unions and smaller banking institutions that don't have the technological know-how uh, didn't even try to throw their hat in this ring because uh, understanding that they could throw all their resources at it and a week later, all the, the, the allocations for the funding would be taken up already by the big right. banks. So they had no incentive to do that. And that's really the importance of, of, of actually creating allocations for them. It mm-hmm. actually creates an incentive for them to uh, work to onboard these, these uh, applications for the PPP, which uh, in, in the last round they didn't necessarily do. Is one of the is one of the blockers here almost just kind of like a mental model thing? If regulators and policymakers thought of these fintech companies more as banks? Would that you do you think that, you know, V1 of this might have looked differently if they thought of these lenders, these small lenders more like community banks? Do you think that that would have shifted? This is a very like philosophical question, but I'm just curious. What's your point of view on that? It could be. I mean, I, the SBA and the other people, Treasury and the Fed, the people who have been in the midst of this. Yeah have been making heroic efforts. I mean, they've been working around the clock. They had a model, as you said at the beginning, they have had this uh, pace of work and the technology that they use and a whole system like eTran. And um, suddenly they had to put, you know, but depending on how, what kind of time frame you put onto this, you can make an argument that they have had to ramp up about 60 fold to get the funds out fast enough compared to where they were, how they were doing things before. So, um, you know, they haven't had the time to design it all. We give a lot of credit to the industry for stepping up and, and jumping into this lending without real clarity on a lot of aspects of what's going to happen down the road with it. There's so many questions. It's just humanly impossible to scale, especially with the old technology and the old laws and regulations we have to scale that fast. So it's partly mental model and it's just, it's just humanly impossible to to do something like this, both really fast and really well. And one thing I hope is we won't have too many recriminations down the road for the fact that there are, you know, that the speed has been offset here with some of the perfection and polish that you might hope for. One of the big issues that's coming almost inevitably is that the system will be attracting fraud. And, um, you know, there's a lot of effort underway to prevent that, but it's going to you put hundreds of billions of dollars out there for people. You're going to have people trying to steal it. And uh, if you and the solution to that typically is to go more slowly and uh, the small businesses can't afford for us to go much more slowly. Yeah. And I think it's my hard. perspective Zach, is, Zach, is a little bit different, which is, um, you know, your question was, is this a mental model? Uh, that the regulators hold. And, um, you know, the, the regulators are, are really there to ensure the safety and soundness of the system. Right. And so from their perspective, uh, they are concerned about the KYC that a lot of fintechs have. 
yeah. you know, is the KYC um, uh, as robust as mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the institutions that they proactively regulate, right? If they're not regulating these institutions, they don't really have a point of view about well, the robustness of their KYC. So uh, I do think there was this window of opportunity where they were able to, you know, let some of the larger fintechs in. But I think, you know, if you look at who was who who was uh, approved to participate in the program, even though there weren't funds for them to actually participate with, um, you know, it was the larger fintechs that do have KYC uh, operations. Yeah. Uh, and, and it really brings us back to these broader strategic questions of like digital ID or portability of KYC. These right. are these critical questions that, um, you know, as an ecosystem, we have to start to tackle. Yeah. It's hard to Monday morning quarterback, like a, like a firefighter walking into a burning house and spraying water all over the place. Like probably they're going to get your sheets wet and you just have to accept that. Right. It makes yeah. sense of outcomes, you know, are there going to be disparate impacts? Sure. You know, when final analysis is done and you look at, you know, who the winners and losers are, uh, for sure, minority businesses will not have uh, had the same access uh, as other businesses. Same thing with um, uh, larger businesses will have had, you know, more access than smaller businesses. Um, But, you know, you know, while there will be fraud, you know, because the banks have been relying on their existing client base, you know, the 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 fraud question has to be kind of uh, disaggregated from the idea of error rates. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, on the one side, you know, you know, did we fund a lot of Russian operatives? <laughs> Probably not. Right. Because yeah. of the KYC systems that we do have in place. Um But, you know, did we calculate the right number to give to, you know, uh, the the applicants? Right. You know, there's going to be a huge question on forgiveness. Yeah, that's one of my big ones. What isn't forgiven and and under what requirements, you know, which have not yet been made clear. Yeah. How much are you two focused on that? How much are you two focused on, you know, PPP round two? And how much are you focused on making sure that loan forgiveness and, you know, everything from round one actually gets kind of... God, it's weird that we're talking about this in rounds. What a weird time to be alive, you two. This is just strange. Yeah, it's um, so messy. It's so weird. But which of those two are you more focused on? You kind of, you know, PPP two getting the dollars out, or is it PPP one making sure the loan forgiveness and everything else kind of gets actually facilitated? We're probably going to do the second hackathon we're exploring with a partner uh, and focus it more on that forgiveness stage because a lot of the players have, it's, it's kind of, you know, rough and uh, not very pretty, but people have figured out how to get into the program in the first place. Um, so I think there's more concern about what's going to happen down the road. And that is part of where the bank regulators become more engaged as well, because yeah. if loans are not forgiven and they're sitting on the books as a 1% loan for two years and so on, you know, there's, there's undoubtedly going to be fallout from that as well. So we're looking at that closely. In an ideal system, you would have that integrated solution that at the front end would do the payroll 
uh, verification to qualify people for the loan in the beginning. And then on the back end, when the forgiveness opportunity comes up, you would get access to the same payroll information and be able to see people did maintain their payroll and are eligible. But it's not going to be as smooth as that for most of the players involved. I would just say on the disparate impact issue, it's really the same as for the virus itself. Right. Some, a crisis like this reveals the the um, the vulnerabilities that so many uh, people and businesses in our society have, and they are just less ready to be uh, resilient, um, served quickly, help, helped yeah. quickly, and so on. And it's something I hope it will be a real um, incentive to everybody to be thinking hard about again, technology solutions for, the, for these right. kinds of business in particular. Yeah. You got to feel lucky to even, I mean, I was watching something this morning. I think I was telling you before we started recording Joanne about just the, the, potential and already existing famines in Africa and how much, you know, the, the impact of coronavirus in Africa is probably going to be sizable, but the impact on the supply chain and the impact on their actual ability to get food where it needs to go, water where it needs to go is probably, you know, famine is probably going to be a bigger killer than COVID over there. And I'm just having this moment, you know, sitting here in Kansas city, you two are in, you know, safe places in your cities. And, you know, we're, I think we're lucky to even be able to have this conversation, right? I mean, so much of it is so much of it is so much of it is life or death right now that, you know, we're in a lucky position to even just get to sit here and pontificate about, you know, what has happened and what's going to happen. So anyways, it's just, it's a really weird I'm just going to like four or five times during this interview, remind us how weird it is to be alive right now. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, so true. one of the, one of the kind of uh, mechanics pieces that I wanted to cover that I thought was pretty interesting in your piece was the kind of the bulk application process for major SBA lenders. Can you describe kind of the mechanics of that? How would, would a FinTech kind of fit into that almost? It sounds like that would facilitate potentially partnership model. Can just talk about that a little bit. I'm just curious about how that would kind of shake out. Yeah, one of the ideas that came out of the hackathon we did was the proposal that for established uh, high volume or potentially high volume SBA lenders, that there could potentially be a program. I don't think this has been done yet, um, although I've, I've heard a little bit of discussion of it, uh, but that potentially the SBA could provide a bulk guarantee allocation to these lenders where they know that the lender knows how to do this right. And then that could be, it could have with it a pre-allocation of guarantee numbers so that the lender would know that it had enough guarantees to assign to the um, companies that it was lending to. Uh, And then could be submitted to the SBA in a bulk form on a cadence that would not be, that would be at the convenience of the SBA and therefore would not be overloading it as it works on the one-by-one cases. Sorry, I've got a helicopter. Yeah, I was say, is that a helicopter, a plane? Who You really it's do helicopter. live in D.C., don't you? I do. I live right on the river. I've got a lot of <laughs> helicopters go by. Um, and that might be two helicopters, which would suggest somebody important is in one of them. Yeah. Um, so the... Uh, 
the part of the idea of this is to free up the SBA from having to do the one by one uh, uh, treatment of every loan and the it would give the larger players an incentive to participate because they would be sure that that, that they had enough uh, allocation to serve the customers that they had in their pipeline. Obviously, you'd have to do that carefully. You don't want to allocate too much to those lenders. We're trying to reserve space for the other lenders. Um, but uh, it could be a way of unburdening the SBA to some extent in the whole process that it's in. Even if it's a smaller allocation, I would think that ability to like move quickly and kind of, it's almost like pushing, you know, pushing decision-making ability from the Fed down to the states or down to the local government or something it's more yeah. just like you make your yeah. own decisions and i'll report back with you know what we came up with kind of a thing exactly and it could have the ability to enable it's short of having a a, a statutory allocation it could have the ability to enable the sba to uh, get a cadence of activity that would be um more manageable for them and again let them give case-by-case attention to the companies that need it. So yeah, the big fintechs and some of the larger banks or larger SBA lenders would be potentially in that category. Yeah. Be the hell of a time to be an SBA employee. God, I can't imagine going to work every day right now or going to your couch or I don't even know how that works. I'm guessing they're probably going still into work based on those systems. Um, So I think, I think we've covered a lot of good stuff, I guess, really kind of what remains for me, the real question that I have and the real kind of call to action that I want to create is what can the world do to help? What can the world do to get involved with air? You know, we've got kind of like we were talking before, Joanne, we've got, you know, community bankers on here. We've got FinTech nerds of all stripes, both from, you know, the, the Fin side and the tech side. How can people get involved? How can people roll up their sleeves? Like what, what does the world need right now? And specifically, how can they engage with air? So I will uh, answer that. And David, I'd like you to um, answer it as well. You know, the the crisis here is shining a spotlight onto the uh, the challenge of getting things done quickly and well in the financial regulatory system. And that is at its heart heavily a technology problem. It's not only a technology problem, it's a culture issue, it's a structure issue. But one of our, uh, when we're in um, the mode of trying to be optimistic about the future, it does seem to us that this this event is a real eye-opener. It's gotten everybody's attention on the fact, I'm talking about the financial regulators, but but an agency like the SBA. So one thing, as you know, Zach, we have a podcast show as well, Barefoot Innovation, And um, we're doing a special series on the future of regulation coming out of the pandemic. And uh, so we're having a series of former agency heads and people of that stature. The first one is with the former controller of the currency, Tom Curry. Second one's with the former controller of the currency, Jane Ludwig, and um, other uh, people of that um, stature thinking about what should we do to do all of this better? What are going to be the new risks and problems and what are going to be the new opportunities? And so we hope that people will give thought to the potential of um, really rethinking how we do financial regulation so that it can be more agile. In some ways, this is a black swan event. Some people are saying 
you know, we don't need to think about whether this will happen again. We don't agree with that. You know, we're in the 21st century and we have a 20th century government and a 20th century regulatory infrastructure. And this is really the time to think about how to do way better with that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've been talking about is um if we're going to have infrastructure uh, projects coming out of this, let's have a tech infrastructure project for the government. You know, yeah. let's bring it into the 21st century and equip it to be resilient and quick. You know, this whole model that we've had in the past of having uh, technology systems put in and then they become obsolete and then you paste them together. And, uh, you know, we have to create flexible platform based systems that can constantly update and upgrade just the way we do with every other tech thing that we work with. So that's AIR's mission. And um, David, why don't you talk a little bit about how people can help? Well, I, I would reiterate what Joanne just said uh, and, and underline this notion of, you know, we have a 20th century infrastructure facing 21st century problems. And, mm -hmm. you know, we are facing this moment in time where, you know, we have this opportunity to really benefit from our learnings from this crisis. Never waste a good crisis. Yeah. Right? We have this opportunity to uh, really take this on and think about it in a completely different way. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you're already starting to see that, right? I mean, even as the SBA has adapted, I mean, it's really done a 180 degree turn in uh, its ability to process these loans. You know, is it 100% perfect? No, there's still room for improvement. There always will be. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, I think we have to celebrate our successes in terms of, of, of moving the kinds of money that we got out uh, as fast as we did. But we also have to really embrace the, uh, the opportunity to learn from this and, and do better in the future. Um, we uh, at, at AIR, we uh, have this three pronged strategy of think, learn and do. Uh, we are going to be uh, publishing uh, shortly this RegTech Manifesto, which really is a roadmap for the future. Uh, and for all of the people who are listening on the call, there's an incredible on the on the webinar on the whatever the <laughs> hell this thing is. <laughs> Podcast, <laughs> webinar, whatever. You just live on Zoom now. You're whatever. It's all interchangeable. <laughs> We're listening to the podcast. Um, uh, we would really ask you to look for and engage. Uh, in the RegTech manifesto, um, as Joanne said, this is a this is not a fait accompli. We are not putting out there that we know the answer. What we're doing is providing a structure of uh, principles that yeah. we need to address and that we have to figure out how to address. And so we need the full uh, participation of everyone in the ecosystem to, uh, to weigh in on that and to engage on that. Uh, we also have uh, opportunities, educational opportunities, where we're helping people learn about uh, the basic building blocks of technology. We have uh, topics that we're doing deep dives on. Our first deep dive uh, is in partnership with Finos. Uh, on the idea of open source. So really helping regulators and other members of the ecosystem understand open source better and understand how open source can be part of the solution here, like Joanne just said about creating uh, a platform that actually uh, is interoperable. Uh, open source could be a really powerful tool and uh, to, to path in that direction. 
And then uh, lastly, we are producing text prints. Uh, and we have other ideas that we're um, incubating inside of a policy accelerator. And uh, to the degree that the uh, listeners to the podcast are interested, we would love to hear from you about, uh, you know, whatever your specialization is. And uh, we keep tabs on uh, different company specializations so that we can call upon them when we're doing a text print in that space. I love it. It sounds like be a human, engage, try and find ways to help reach out. Um, so it's regulationinnovation.org. And then everybody can kind of find you on LinkedIn and everything else from there, it sounds like. so. Exactly. And we can donate to us. I, I will mention also at uh, regulationinnovation.org. We appreciate that. And we also have what we uh, affectionately call the Air Force, uh, just people who want to be helpful and um, uh, it's, not, up, it's not a membership up. organization, but it's a, it's a community. It's a growing community of people who, who can see the potential to do better and are finding ways to help. I love yeah, it. And, and it's funny. Sign me up. up. Yeah, You're already is, an officer. There you go. <laughs> okay. You I, yeah, I, I knew I was already part of this then. I, I was totally clear on that. <laughs> and this is, I think, the third and final shirt that we need to make for this whole conversation is an Air Force shirt. That's, that's the next one. We need to wear those proudly around conferences when we can walk around conferences again. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, you two. I'll link to a lot of this in the show notes. Joanne, I'll definitely link to your uh, your show in the show notes. I'm excited that you're doing that. I love your, love your podcast and you have a very unique network that allows you to do these things. So I'm excited about it. Um, thank you both so much for the time. I seriously, seriously appreciate it. This has been really fun. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. Thanks, Zach. Keep, keep up the work. <laughs> Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of For Fintech Safe. If you want to get in touch with me, chat about the podcast, or learn more about Bond, please reach out. You can get in touch with me via email at Zach at For Fintech Sake, or find me on Twitter at Zach Pettit. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and your face covered. <laughs>